You're listening to the Meet the Farmers podcast with me, your host, Ben Eagle. Please remember to subscribe to the show wherever you are listening. Hello, everyone. Happy New Year and welcome to the first episode back this year. Welcome to episode 226 of the Meet the Farmers podcast with me, Ben Eagle. Now, I'm going to try and profile more farmers from across the globe in different countries this year. That is the plan. Um, and today we're sort of doing two in one ish. We're heading to New Zealand to meet a Norwegian dairy farmer. Yes, you did hear that right. Uh, why is there a Norwegian dairy farmer in New Zealand? Well, um, listen on to hear more. Uh, my guest, and he's going to tell me I've got his name wrong again, is Ola Utgård. Is that right? Yeah, I reckon that's uh, as close as That'll anyone do. in England is ever going to get. So, Ola Utgård, who is a dairy and beef farmer from, I'm going to get this wrong as well, Lasha? Yep, yep, that's spot on. Brilliant, which is two hours roughly south of Trondheim for anyone uh, who wants to look that up. Um, it looks a really beautiful place. Ola, welcome to Meet the Farmers. Um, how are you doing? Oh, I'm great. Thank you. Bit, oh, a bit uh, cold and chilly in New Zealand today, but it's the first day since I've come here that I'm not in a T-shirt, so I can't complain. Oh, wow. Well, you've managed to escape the Norwegian winter anyway for a bit. Is that the idea? Yeah, yeah it's, that's half the, half the point of going here is not freeze. Yeah, very sensible. Um, yep. And uh, we were chatting before we started recording. Um, you were in Australia for last year's winter. So is that part of the plan to escape Europe for the winter? Well, it it depends uh, whenever my family puts a stop to it. But uh, <laughs> with the responsibilities back on, but they are they are very good and let me take time off work, so I get to travel and uh, or like I call it a travel holiday. Uh, now a working holiday. Because um, like I travel, but I I don't really go on holiday when I travel. I I tend to stay on farms to work. Uh, so who's on the farm at home when you're not there? So I farm together with my father uh, on our dairy farm, and uh, this year my uncle has uh, turned around and said, "Oh, do you have any winter work for me?" Because he wants like he's worked on the farm before. He and my father used to run it together. And then he stepped down and I sort of took over his position. And uh, he was like, can I come and work here this winter? I was like, yeah, I'm going to go to New Zealand. Then. <laughs> Sounds, like, Sounds like you got a good deal there. Yeah, I think I got the better end of that deal. But uh, Tell us a little bit more about uh, home in Norway. Tell us about the farm. Yeah, so I live in a place in Norway called Lasha, two hours south of Trondheim, four hours north of Oslo. And it is a dairy farm, mainly, that we focus on. And then we have a sort of a beef herd just on the side to like eat up excess feed and just to use like the excess space we have in the shed. Uh, so that's just like a, a byproduct, I would say. And we farm about 110, 111 hectares, I think, of like arable land. And then we'll have like 
perhaps 30, 40 hectares of like pastures and steep country that you can't drive a tractor on, but you can put a cow there. So they graze that in the summers. And uh, uh, yeah, so we keep like, we have enough like pasture land to keep all our stock fed through the summer without supplement feed them. But the dairy cows and the bulls obviously get fed yeah. as well. When do they come in for the winter? So uh, the season starts, they go out in the end of May, usually, or that's when it's enough grass for they go out before that, but like there really isn't any grass to eat before the end of May. And the grazing season ends like last week of August, first week of September normally, and that's when we start to supplement feed them again. Like the, the dairy cows go in every day to milk anyway uh, in the robot. But the beef cows usually go inside. I think this year was like the 5th of November, 10th of November. Okay. Because the winter came early. I think last year it was maybe like the 20th of November or maybe even later. I'm not sure. Yeah. And just yeah. so listeners, certainly in the UK, um, have an idea of, of uh, your, your weather patterns and your climate. When does, yeah, sort of, how, do, you, do you get a lot of snow in the winter? What, what are the sort of temperatures? What does it go down to? Yeah, it is a different winter to the English winter, to put it that way. We get like five effective months of winter. And I live at 600 meters above sea level as well, so it is like extreme there. Okay. If you live down by the coast, it's probably more like a British winter. But we get a meter of snow, maybe two meters of snow, depending. Like it will melt away and then come back. Yeah. And... Uh, for the last two weeks, they've had negative 20 Celsius at home. Oh, wow. Yeah, that, that is cold. Yeah, now I think it's like zero degrees again, Celsius. Oh, oh warm, uh, nice and warm then. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's barbecue. Uh, <laughs> but uh, normal winter in Norway, minus five, six degrees snow. Okay. From um, November till the end of March. Oh, you can say it. I, I don't think any any British farmer can, can complain ever again about the cold. Tell me about your cattle in terms of uh, the breeds and, and numbers as well. What have you got? So the dairy herd are probably eighty percent purebred Norwegian Reds, and then there are one or two Fleckwish, like the Fleckwish Simmental. Okay. Yep. Uh, just because I like them. Okay. And then we have a few Holsteins and one Jersey cow. Just because I like that as well. But, yeah, I was, uh, I was guessing that. Yeah, but uh, oh, no, it's Norwegian red cows, like yeah. mainly. And, uh, and, and I'm guessing in, from someone who hasn't actually been to Norway, I'm guessing and I'm, I'm hoping that the Norwegian red is, is fairly widespread in Norway. It is the number one breed in Norway by far. But uh, Holsteins are very common as well. Yeah. In Norway, jerseys aren't really... Some farmers have them, but, but they aren't really a thing. But it's Norwegian Reds, Swedish Red, pretty much the same thing. And then Holsteins are like the three main breeds. But uh, we find in Norway... Like the Norwegian red is obviously bred for Norwegian conditions. Yeah. And just in 
at least from my point of view, like the Holstein organization in Norway is probably going to disagree, but I, I find that the Norwegian Reds function better under the conditions we have. Uh, in the UK as well, one of the one of the things that uh, any anyone who farms cattle has to tackle um, is uh, is TB. What is the what's the prevalence of of TB in bovine TB in Norway? Non-existent. Hmm. That will be that will be music to a lot of British farmers' yeah. ears. That it is, it is there possible. was. There was actually a case in a slaughterhouse in Norway last year. They found one case of bow and TB on a carcass hanging there. And that farm obviously got put into lockdown. And yep. uh, I was very far from where I live. And I never heard anything more about it. But it was like that one case. But apart from that, like I know my my grandfather remembers they had it, I think. Okay. But I was like back in the fifties, yeah. and since then it's it's not really been a thing in Norway, and we we don't do tests for it, and yeah. it's you. I've never like ever heard about bovine TB even before I went to England. Wow, wow! Yeah. So that, that is that's quite good. Absolutely, in terms of general health and well-being but also i mean any other animal diseases are there anything is there anything of note in norway no i don't think we have anything like that stands out obviously you have your traditional difficulties with animal like you can have milk fever etc etc mastitis like that's that's everywhere you go but there's no like disease that are bad in norway uh which we are is very good. The cold kills a lot of things. Yes, of course. Of course. Because uh, I went to Australia last year and we were backlining sheep. And yep. uh, no one's ever heard about that in Norway to backline your sheep. And uh, <laughs> we were looking at these sheep and they were like, yeah, these would have been dead in a week if we didn't do this. And yeah, I just, I reckon there's some perks of being in a cold place is that uh, you don't get a lot of diseases and uh, the government are very strict on like the treatments and the antibiotics and everything yeah i mean so it's a family farm and i'm guessing that's that's a major reason but i mean how did you get into farming and what's your sort of first memory of farming i suppose oh i have what's my first memory of farming is probably uh, me and my brother sitting in like a a one by two locked in space at the end yeah. of the barn when my mother and far uh, mother and father was milking in the old okay. dairy shed we had before, which is like a tie stall, twenty cows, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, that's that's probably my first memory of farming. But it's like yeah, you grow up on your family farm. And you see it expand and you see like the entire season go past. And like, for me, it's more like you get to go out uh, to work in the morning. And you, when you come back inside at night, you can actually see the effects of your work. Yeah. That's my, like, that's why I like farming and you get to be your own boss. Like there's things you have to do. Uh, that you can't decide that you don't want to do but you still like get to it's your own thing that you're doing no one's telling you what to do mm. 
did you ever want to do anything else? No, not really. I my parents did. Okay. Uh, yeah, they wanted me to like do other stuff, try other stuff, go to school, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I was like, okay, I can try to have a trade. And so I drove an excavator for a year, worked in a construction firm. Yeah. But it was like go there in the morning every day, and then just come back home to farm every single yeah. day. And I was like, yeah. There's not really a point for me going I and might driving as well in just a, do this. Yeah. Yeah. Might as well do this. And <laughs> after that, I actually went to a year of ag school after that, uh, which was super. And uh, after that, I've just been, since I was 20 years old, just been at home. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Is, that, is that fairly typical in family farms in Norway mm. or? Do do most people sort of leave? Is it is it a struggle to yeah. recruit people? I, I think it's more common to to leave and then come back once you have a family or like when your father retires that you come back and take on the farm then. And yeah, you might live somewhere else. And I think like when you're in your early thirties, mid thirties, that's that's probably more normal to take over your farm. Okay. And like I haven't taken over anything on paper, but like I co co run it with my father. Yeah. So, I and I like it, it is a good thing that you don't get forced into farming when you're twenty years old, and that's the only life you know. Like I by no means was forced into it. I I wanted to do it myself, and I don't regret it. So, yeah. This episode is being supported by our primary sponsor, Howden Rural, which is the new name for A-Plan Rural. The Howden team shares my passion for giving a voice to farmers, and we are both driven to raise the profile of farming voices to a wider audience. Howden Rural do a lot of work on social media themselves, sharing farming accounts and farming stories. They have a rural community blog which shares farmers' experiences. They also support a growing number of initiatives that champion UK farmers, including this podcast. So a big thank you to Howden Rural for supporting Meet the Farmers. Give us more of a picture of agriculture in Norway generally um, in terms of what most people produce. You've already said you're doing um, some beef, some uh, some some dairy. There's also some arable land. Um, uh, is there a subsidy support system? Uh, you also mentioned government earlier. So what are the regulations like? Yeah, just tell us a bit about agriculture in Norway generally. Yeah, so it's milk and beef and sheep is like the three main big productions and then we obviously we have like pig farmers uh, egg egg farmers chicken farmers we have everything fruit farmers uh, vegetable farmers we have all that but it's like where i live we can only grow grass and whole crop like we can't even mature barley where i live because the growing season is so short. It's just grass you can grow. Uh, so that sort of puts a very big limit on what we can do with our farm. It's either going to be milk or beef or sheep, basically. Uh, but luckily, like the um, the government in Norway realizes this, or it, it realized that when they put this scheme together some many years ago. I have no idea when. So it's like a, a funding system. And Norway is divided into seven parts, I think, through that funding scheme. 
So you have like your category one farms, and that's like in the best regions, like in the best best areas. Okay. And they hardly get any fundings for grass or for for dairy and beef and like uh, the productions you can have anywhere. Uh, so it's like to incentivize them to produce uh, cereals, vegetables, fruits, all that stuff, because that's where you actually can grow it. That's where nature allows it. And then the grade two and grade three is pretty much the same as that, just a bit more challenging, but still doable. And once you move up to like the four and five regions, I'm in region number five, where I live, and six and seven is just very heavy fundings on beef and grass and sheep, because that's what you can actually farm. And the, the fundings have turned into like a big big thing uh, like that's our income because okay. the uh, the cost of living in norway is extreme yes it, it is that is, that is one is, thing i know yeah it is like an extremely expensive country go to england and you think everything is cheap <laughs> uh, but obviously our, our pay is better as well just because it's more expensive yeah but like if we didn't get fundings from the government we would have to shut our doors tomorrow because there would be no way. That's how you survive. And that is pretty much every farmer. Yeah, yeah that's so just I, the way I'm, it is. I'm, I imagine when actually when you go to pretty much any country abroad, it feels great. Oh, so easy. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, yeah, it feels good. But uh, like, if you want to have farming in Norway, you have to have fundings. Unless you're just going to have like, a few big farms and that's it. And you can't really do big farms in Norway because like we have 110 hectares of arable land and that is a big farm in Norway. Yeah. 60 dairy cows is a big dairy farm in Norway. And the farm I'm currently on in New Zealand, they milk 1,500 or 600 cows. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. And actually that leads me on to another point actually in terms of, I suppose, the markets and I mean, are there... Are there cooperatives? How does it work in terms of selling your milk? Is there a milk pool? Yeah, so we sell all our beef and milk products to two different cooperatives. And they are farm-owned cooperatives. And they were funded uh, many, many years ago. Like my grandparents remember when they were funded. Founded. And... uh, and uh, they are like, uh, they're not government run. They are like the farmers own them. But since they are so old and they were the first, the meat cooperative and uh, the dairy cooperative, like they are also the market regulators. So they work alongside the government to regulate the market in Norway. And they help set, like there is a milking quota in Norway. So you have to have a certain quota and then you get to produce a certain amount. And the maximum you can produce is, um, it used to be 900 tons of milk, which would be 100 cows or 110 cows or so. And uh, now they put it down to 750 tons again, I think. And uh, there's no regulations on beef or lamb, I think. 
uh, but on pork, you you don't get a quota, but you can only raise like um, if you're a sow farmer, you're only allowed to have so and so many sows in that in that year. And also, when you're an if you're an egg farmer or a chicken farmer, there are like uh, you have to get like a permission for it. Okay. But I, I don't think you have to pay for the permission. Challenges. What are your biggest challenges? Well, biggest challenge in farming in Norway at this moment is probably high interest rates and exp- everything you have to put into the farm has gotten gone up so much the last few years. And uh, we get paid the same for our milk now as we did 10 years ago. Yeah, wow. And when you're talking Norwegian terms, I mean, that must mean a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, but like the fertilizer crisis and everything, that was global. Yeah. Uh, that was everywhere in the world. And uh, I think it's the same with meat prices and milk prices all over the world as well. Yeah. And like historically, Norway has had one of the highest milk prices in in Europe. Uh, but I don't think we have that at the moment, actually. We certainly didn't a year ago. But um, you can't expect to be on top every single day. So That's I reckon true. it's just the way the market works. But uh, So I, I think the struggle is the same for, for any farmer in Europe at this moment. Uh, but I suppose that's that's one of the benefits to Norwegian farming as well. Like your normal farming units aren't going to be bigger than that. Like the depth would be manageable, even if you have an outside job. Like that's not the correct way to fund the farm to take money from the outside and put it into the farm by no means. But like, if you had to do it, you could do it. Okay. In probably. 70% of the cases and that's like a big difference to big european farms where if you're struggling you are struggling and you are you're pretty much screwed yeah i was going to ask do many do many norwegian farmers that you know have a second income or do they tend to focus just on the farm no it's very nor- normal in norway to have your farm as a second income or like your second or have a second job do something else like work as a mechanic or an electrician or a plumber or something or an office job and then you if you say you have 30 beef cows at your shed you're going to have plenty of time on your hands anyway (laughs) so uh that that's probably the most normal way of farming actually in norway now or if you have a hundred sheep or something, like they will always have an outside job. Very, very rarely will you see like small farmers just live from the farm. Depending on obviously if if they live very modest and have no debt, they can do it. But uh, I would not like that lifestyle. <laughs> yeah. Meet the Farmers is brought to you by Rural Pod Media, the only podcast production agency to specialise in the rural sector. We're on a mission to make rural stories mainstream and help businesses, organisations and communities like you tell your story through podcasting. Podcasting is a fantastic way of connecting with your audience, whoever that might be, 
getting your message out there and networking with leaders in your niche. Rural Pod Media can help you by launching your new podcast or helping you with the technical side. We also provide podcast training and an audit service if you already have a podcast you're not sure where to take it to next. For more information or to book a call, visit ruralpodmedia.co.uk. That's ruralpodmedia.co.uk. Let's turn to some bigger topics. So in the UK, the big the big topic really is sustainability. Lots of people are talking about that in terms of carbon, climate, um, but also sustainability of labour as well. How does it feature in Norway? Well, it's probably the same as in the UK, but it's or we don't have the UK public in Norway. Uh, <laughs> they're probably a bit more understanding. There is that. Uh, obviously, you have your own cases in Norway as well, but like sustainability is like a massive thing. Uh, but at least in my mind, like all the farmers' unions and all like the co-op and even the privates like they realize this and uh, I think like it is an advantage to be ahead of all these sustainability regulations and everything so like I feel like everyone strives to always be better than the regulations and okay. try to put in uh, regulations for ourselves before the government do it because then you actually get a saying in it. Whereas if the government just puts in regulations, you have nothing to say and you just have to go along with it. And yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, so yeah, it is a big to topic, but it's like that is your best commercial as well for Norwegian farming or British farming or whatever. It's like, yes, we can prove that we are actually sustainable and yes, we have these fundings, but look at uh, this paperwork here and you can see why it has to be that way like you can trace everything and you can prove everything uh, so yeah it's a it's a big thing but it's not uh, it's not an issue yeah i would say is there anything in particular on your farm that you're investing in changes you're making to sort of meet this new demand not at the moment not at the moment. So we we went from a tie stall barn in 20, 2008. And then we started to, my father and my uncle started to lease a farm with a brand new robotic barn built on it. Okay. So they leased the land and, uh, and uh, the barn there. And I actually live on that farm now in the, like the, the leaseholder house. And that obviously put us like 20 years ahead of everything. But like that that shed was built in 2008 and that was like the best shed you could build for money back then. And you would never be allowed to build that shed now because it is <laughs> like, it's out of date. Like uh, you don't have any welfare pens or like uh, it's all slatted floors and everything. And I still think it's a great barn. There are things I would change, but like overall, it is fantastic. But you would not be allowed to build that shed now because of regulations that have come in the last few years. And um, I guess tie stall barns aren't really a thing in England at all, but uh, they are still a big thing in Norway. 
and uh, the government put in this obviously to please the green party and uh, everyone uh, like that they uh, put in a law that said that all Thai stall barns were forbidden to use by the year of 2024 or 5 but so many farms still milk in Thai stall barns like it's not a it's not a huge amount of milk, but it's a huge amount of farms because it's the smallest farms that are in Thai stall still. Of course, and uh, people just went mad, understandably, uh, for that, and they just pushed it another ten years, a few years ago. So now it's in twenty twenty, no twenty thirty four, I think. Right, they will be forbidden. But it, it, in my mind, it's a stupid law because it's going to die out on its own. Because no one's going to build a new Thai stall barn anyway. And a cow shed, they go out on date at some point. Yeah. Which you is have po- to, po- possibly yeah. part of the government thinking that it will, yeah, it will change anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Like you, you don't have to make rules for that because in the end it's going to die out. That's just the way it is. Yeah. The other hot topic in the UK, and I'm interested, especially because you have lots of smaller firms, so perhaps um, perhaps it isn't as big an issue, but it, it's labour. Um, it, it's finding yeah. finding enough people um, to work on the farms. Um, what's the case in Norway? No, it's probably the same case as in the UK. It is hard to find like good people uh, that you can afford to pay a fair wage because we're you have to find the money to pay for a farm worker yeah but like what's pretty common back home is like one or two or three farmers will will share a worker together to do the milking and odd jobs so they will have him like once every third week or every second week or and we've we've done that a few times like for a summer and, and that works very well but you have to train them and then they stay and once they've learned everything, they go back home. Uh, yes, and then you've got the same issue again. Yeah, but we we actually had a, ma, a Lithuanian man working for us for 18 years, I think. Oh, wow. And that was just, that was easy because he knew the drill. Like, he, he knew everything better than my father and my uncle did. So, like, he, <laughs> yeah, he knew what to do. And uh, it's pretty common to get uh, people from... Yeah, Lithuania, Poland, Ukraine, Belarus, yeah, uh, Eastern European countries to to work on the farm, and it's good money for them. And uh, they are very good workers. They're not afraid of work. It's it's hard to find Norwegians. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This is this is the same same sort of story that that you hear here in the UK. Because the the Norwegians that want to farm, they usually have a farm yes exactly <laughs> <laughs> so it's like it's hard to get someone to to do that sort of stuff but uh, i don't care where they they are from and i find that they uh, they are usually more keen to work when they come from overseas or yeah. other places yeah in terms of training and education and i suppose i'm, I'm mostly thinking of of norwegians here yeah, what what's the situation in terms of new entrants to the industry, first generation farmers? Are there opportunities for people to come in? I imagine it's it's pretty expensive um, to get into. Yeah, it's a uh, it's an expensive ticket to buy, uh, and it's it's 
it is probably a difficult environment to get into because it, farming is a very traditional uh, trade. Uh, but like in terms of school and all that, farm schools in Norway, I would say, are very good. Okay. Very down to earth, and you can go on like a farm sort of college, I suppose it is, from your sixteen. And then you'll have all your normal lessons like gym, English, maths, Norwegian, and farming on the side. So you will like have an actual farm on the school. Fantastic. And you'll go in the shed and you'll go in the field and all that. And uh, you can and also farm uh, farm universities are are good in Norway. Like they will have an actual farm on them. And. In, I've never been to a farmer's uh, university, but like I have many friends that's gone to them, and I've not heard any bad words about them. I went yeah. to a like a a college for one year when I was eighteen or nineteen, and uh, that was just super. It was very good. Yeah, uh, but yeah. Uh, now, if you if they want to get into farming, like a, a first generation farmer, I suppose the best thing to do is start milk cows for your neighbor. Yeah, to get an idea about what it is, uh, start working around your local area, around where you want to farm, and then you. There are always farmers that's going to sell their farm, and especially now, like. Again, with the the challenging with economics now, uh, five years ago, there were hardly any farms for sale in Norway. Hardly any. If there was a farm sold, they were usually sold like private. You didn't hear about it before they were sold, sort of thing. Yeah. And they just, yeah, they sold quick. 2023... It's really seen a change of that. Like now there are quite a few farms for sale in Norway because people that have found that they are debt-free or they have to make a big investment and they're a bit old for that investment or, yeah, all those situations. Since it, since it is so challenging at the moment, they've decided oh, we're probably better off just to sell our farm okay, because then we can live comfortably. Uh, but the issue is like the market or like the valued price for that farm and like the market price is not the price you can pay for that farm now with the prices of beef and milk. So they don't sell. Mm -hmm. So like it would be easy to find a farm to buy in Norway now, but it would probably not be easy to negotiate the price. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, just start start milk cows for your neighbor. That's what I would do. Start start working on farms. Get a network, and that's go to ag school as well to get a network. Get friends that are into farming. Friends that you can discuss farming with. I think that's super advice. Big thing. Super, yeah, yep. super advice. Almost wherever in the world you are. Just a little more about our primary sponsor, Howden Rural, which is the new name for A-Plan Rural. Same people, different name. Howden Rural provide bespoke insurance cover for farms and estates. This could be for anything from tractors and machinery to a new exciting diversification venture. So for more information, visit howdeninsurance.co.uk forward slash rural.
just uh, yeah, just before before we sort of start to wrap things up, just tell us a little bit more about uh, your plans for your time in New Zealand, uh, what you're doing, and w- what you hope to get out of it. Obviously, you're working. Yeah, so I flew here around twentieth of November, and I flew into Queenstown and got myself set up, bought a Ute, and uh, now I'm uh, working at the dairy farm down uh, not so far from Gore. So it's like Otago Southland area. And uh, we're working in eight tree roster. And on my three days off now, I've been uh, doing contracting for a contractor uh, an hour away from here. Just odd jobs with a tractor. Okay. And I'm staying here till New Year's. That's the plan. And then I'm. I think I've just secured a job at a farm, an arable farm, near Christchurch, thirty minutes from Christchurch. Fantastic. Uh, they grow seed crops, barley, wheat, onions, yeah, that sort. And then I'm going to be windrowing, combining, and on a tractor for three months, I think, before I, I head back home in April. Uh, it was also a seed crop farm I worked on in, in Tasmania when I was there. So, right. And I enjoy that very much. So hopefully yeah. that's what I'm going back to. And then back for the Norwegian spring. Yeah, hopefully. Or late Norwegian winter, probably in April. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the, the snow should have started to disappear by then. Yeah. Our our slurry season usually starts on the 1st of May okay. Yeah. in my region. Yeah, no, I, I really like this idea of, uh, of avoiding winters. Um, overall, I recommend it. <laughs> Overall, uh, what's next for you? I'm guessing uh, that uh, you, you're pretty. Sounds like you're, you're pretty settled in terms of life on the farm, and then uh, then spending the winters away. But um, where where would you like to be in a few years' time? A few years' time, I hope to have my own farm, pretty much. And I like I do back home in Norway. I have my own tractors and my own grass gear and slurry gear. Uh, so I do contracting all summer. And spring, uh, so I have slurry pumping equipment, okay, slurry cat gear, and two fence and mowers and uh, a baler, uh, Michael Fusion tree. So I just do like all over my town slurry and grass work, which is also it's quite a good way for me to get into farming because I you get to start buying things you will need to farm and you get like to start to pay it off uh, before you have everything else on top of that as well. So it's just like, for me, it's a small step into the industry. Yep. Like personally, hopefully I can go back to New Zealand next year, next winter again as well, but uh, I'm not counting on that. That's just like, uh, depends on the family. (laughs) Yeah. It's just, just a small hope I have. But uh, no, five years time, I'm probably going to be settled in my hometown on a farm. Is what I reckon. I think my father would be quite happy to pass it on soon because I think he's sick of it. Okay, well, definitely enjoy New Zealand while you're out there. While, while you while you can while you can travel. Um, 
we're going to move towards the quick questions. And I know before we started recording, you said you weren't sure about these. But the first one, I'm sure that you could answer this one. Um, it's your all-time favourite country to visit. Yeah, that's a tricky one, actually. But uh, New Zealand is is amazing. I've only been there for three weeks, but the things I've seen so far is, far is, is very cool. Yeah. So that is probably... I've never been to like any exciting countries, but of the countries I've been to, New Zealand is probably the coolest place. Yeah, that sounds pretty Australia, exciting to me. Yeah, Australia as well, because you get a lot of characters there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, all the stereotypes you think about Australians are true. Yeah, well, we've got we've got an Australian on, on the next episode, so. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I don't know in Europe, probably like Germany for the agriculture and france or italy for for a scenery i suppose in the food yeah for sure uh next one uh your all-time favorite song yeah my favorite song uh what could possibly that be i have to check <laughs> my my spotify uh, spotify wraps uh, or something then <laughs> uh, it would be some dire straits probably sultans of swing awesome cool yeah and a book to recommend could be farming could be non-farming could be anything yeah so a book to recommend would be a magazine probably like uh, i read the the norwegian equivalent of farmers weekly that's probably that like my uh, it's called norsk landbruk which is it means norwegian farming okay and yeah that is probably my favorite magazine to read uh, and I have it on like a, an e-paper here, so I can read it when I'm in New Zealand. Okay, is it available uh, in English? Like, um, yeah, you could probably translate it. Yeah, well, any uh, non-Norwegian um, speakers out there, readers out there, um, go and go and check that out. Um, I'm going to move to the final questions. Uh, what is your message for the public? Any message? Message for the public would be to like go and see how a farm works before you judge a farm and go and work on a farm uh, before you judge a farm and uh, buy food that was produced in the country you're buying it in. Fantastic. Yeah. And your message to farmers? To farmers, uh, it would probably be to not be too proud. Very good. Uh, and and to take time off and uh, when they take time off go on an airplane so you are sure that you're so far away that if anything happens back home you can't do anything <laughs> to help <laughs> because that's what happens when farmers go on holiday they go an hour down the road and they run back to the farm if there's yeah. a small inconvenience go so, so far away that that you can't run back yeah I mean, you've definitely taken it to extremes going to New Zealand. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not saying go to New Zealand, but, uh, <laughs> but do go to New Zealand by all means. Uh, but like, yeah, take some time off. And finally, your recommendation for a blog, podcast or social media account to follow, which could be farming or non-farming. Yeah, what, what could possibly that be then? I... Uh, <laughs> 
That, that is a good question. It's a very <laughs> good question. I like to follow, I don't have one particular one, but I, I like to follow farm farming related papers and pages around the world. Okay. To, to see how farming is viewed and works in other parts of the world and like Nor Norway, Sweden, Denmark, you think it's the same place, but it's so different. Like in terms of farming, Denmark is probably more similar to English farming. And uh, yeah, I, I tried to keep up on literature from overseas just to see if there's anything we can use from that back home, if there's anything we can learn from it, which it definitely is. I think that's a great uh, tip. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And it's uh yeah, it's, it's only one thing that I'm trying to do uh, through the podcast. Yeah, certainly this year, reaching out to farmers in other parts of the world, um, because yeah, I think we all have a lot to learn from each other. Um, so I, I think that's that's a really good that's a really good point. Yeah, and that that's uh, like a part of why I travel as well. Yeah, go to Australia, go to New Zealand to see like you're obviously you're never going to see Australian farming in Norway, but like the the principles of farming are the same anywhere you go. You yeah. need to grow a crop and you need to feed your cows. And it's just how you do it and on what scale. Well, um, I think we'll leave it on that point. Um, but honestly, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Um, yeah, thanks for coming on. No worries. That is it for today. We'll leave it there. A big thank you to my guest, Aula Otgard coming on the show and thank you very much for listening thanks also to our primary podcast sponsor howden rural insurance for supporting the show um any extra information is in the show notes um, any links we mentioned today uh next time we'll be in australia and i'll be talking to aussie dairy farmer rachel mcgrath so catch me for that for now though i'm ben eagle this has been meet the farmers thank you very much for listening and i hope you'll have a great week